0: Welcome into the Power Alley. If you're familiar with the podcast, I'm your host, Pat Malacaro. Well, the Buffalo Bisons' 2022 season is in the rearview mirror, ending just over a month ago, and unfortunately for the Herd, not finishing the way the 2021 year did. Buffalo falling in the season finale in Scranton-Wilkes-Barre at the end of September and finishing the year 76-72, and 72, tied for fourth place in the International League's East Division. What else is new? The Durham Bulls took the East Division crown. Won the International League in the one game playoff in Las Vegas and were crowned the AAA national champions as well. But for the Bisons, another successful year. Three straight seasons, the Bisons have finished above 500. That's a nice achievement for the team and a lot of roster turnover and a lot of coaching changes as well that something we did not see and something we really have not seen in the modern era of the Buffalo Bisons franchise, whether it be the promotion of Casey Kandel to the interim bench coach with the Toronto Blue Jays, forcing Jeff Ware to move from his role as pitching coach of the Bisons into the interim manager spot for the remainder of the 2022 season right before the All-Star break. But either way, the Bisons persevered, and we saw the additions of several players who may be key contributors to the 2023 season. Addison Barger, Trevor Schwecky, Hayden Yinger, who was promoted for A New Hampshire, was very electric out of the Bisons' bullpen. And a lot of different uses of players as well. Guys like Logan Warmuth, Colin Large, seeing a lot more infield time in the 2022 season. All things we'll recap for you throughout this offseason as we're just getting the hot stove started. Free agency is upon us. 40-man rosters are about to be set, and the Rule 5 draft will take place once again at the winter meetings in December. So there's a lot that will take place between now and the end of March. Don't forget, the season begins March 31st in Scranton-Wilkesbury, right where the 2022 season ended. The Bisons will take on the Rail Riders for a three-game series before returning home for the home opener on Tuesday, April the 4th, against the Worcester Red Sox at 2 o'clock. We'll take you through some of the highlights of the 2023 schedule later on here in the Power Rally. But first, we mentioned that it was a successful year on the field for the Buffalo Bisons. A lot of the top prospects in the Blue Jays organization came through Buffalo this past season. A lot are on their way next year as well. And one of the men that keeps track of all of that for MLB.com is Sam Dykstra. He's a reporter and writer for MLB Pipeline, keeping track of the top 30 prospects among all the different affiliations along baseball, and it was down in Arizona for the Arizona Fall League. Mentioned Addison Barger. He was one of the Blue Jay prospects that joined the Fall League this year, in addition to guys like Tanner Morris as well, and others that have not been on the Bison's roster to this point. And I had a chance to catch up with Sam, talk to him about the season for guys like Gabriel Moreno, who is the top prospect not only in the Blue Jays' organization, but in major league baseball at one time last year, but also the prospects that we'll potentially see in 2023 guys that are quickly making a name for themselves and did so this past season. Let's listen to my chat here with Sam. Thanks for taking some time today. you have been busy over the last couple of weeks, you know, folks have been focused on uh, the world series, the fall classic, but there's been a lot of other baseball going on and, You've been uh, had a first first row seat of it of it all, and how was the you know experience in the fall league this year, and and kind of seeing some of those prospects who will become household names, certainly starting last year, but then coming up next year.
1: Yeah, I mean the fall league is always a blast to go see in person, and uh, you know I know d- travel down there it can be a little difficult, but I implore anybody who has the opportunity to go because every game is like an all star game. That's what it feels like. I mean, I was at the the fall stars game on, on Sunday and that's even more special, but uh, every game you turn around and there's a guy I've been following all year facing off. Another guy I've been following all year. I mean, everybody here is a prospect in some sense or another. Um, So it was a blast to be down there for two weeks. I enjoyed every time. And um, yeah, it was good to see a lot of guys in person.
0: I'll ask you about a couple of blue day prospects that were in the fall league in a minute, but you know, it always strikes me. It's not just the players, but it's, the the field staff as well and for for the Bisons there was a connection this year not only some of the players but Jake McGuigan who is a development coach it's an an opportunity for coaches as well to to get some experience with top players in in their development as coaches
1: yeah and the, the great thing about it is that every team has multiple different affiliates you're not just sticking with the Jays the whole time so it's an opportunity to pick up some pointers from maybe a different organization see how they treat their hitters see the how they teach the slider to their pitchers, something like that. Um, so it's a it's a real opportunity to mix ideas, come away with something. It's almost like a conference for six weeks in that way. Um so yeah, it's not just the players getting something, it's the coaches as well.
0: One of the reasons I was excited to chat with you this week is, you know, work at MLB Pipeline, uh, following prospects all year long. It it seemed like to me it was the year of the catcher really had been building to this the the last couple of years. We know in Buffalo, Gabriel Moreno was the top prospect in the Blue Jays organization going into the season. But there were so many great catching prospects that made their major league debuts this past year.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's definitely been a fun year for catchers. And I wonder... You know, this is something we've talked about on the pipeline side of, is this just cyclical? Is there something about the catching position that we're learning more about? Um, it, are we just hitting a really good era for athletes behind the dish? You mentioned Gabby Moreno being one of them. I mean, the guy used to be an infielder. Now he might be an infielder again. I mean, I know he's gotten some looks at third base, um, but I think we're moving away from the guys who are just big catchers. You just kind of stick back there because they're not athletic enough to, to play somewhere else. Um, You you look at Francisco Alvarez who ended the year as our number one overall prospect. I know there are some questions about him defensively, but he hits the ball as hard as anybody I know. I mean, it's incredible to watch, uh, you know, he's likely to be back with Syracuse next year. So maybe you guys will see him a little bit more in the IL, uh, but maybe not. I mean, he's just so advanced right now that he could open with the Mets again, Gabriel Moreno, like I said, so athletic Diego Cartaya with the Dodgers, another really athletic guy who can hit. I mean, these guys would have value if they played another position, but we rank them so highly because they play a premium position at catcher. Um, so yeah, it's been a fun error for that for sure.
0: I know Bison fans saw Francisco Alvarez, unfortunately didn't see him in Buffalo, but if they were watching the games, saw him at one of the biggest home runs of the season off, off the Bisons at MBT bank stadium. So I'm sure they'd be happy to see him uh, in New York and not in the IL next year. Um, <laughs> uh, but for, for Gabriel Moreno specifically, you know, this, this was a big year going into the year, a lot of expectations, the injury, uh, the year prior robbed him of a majority of the season. Um, so what what were kind of you know, if, if we take a look back at the going into April after spring training what were maybe the expectations from a top prospect side for Gabriel Moreno and then how did you kind of see his season play out
1: Yeah I mean the thing with Moreno that I expected to happen I thought he was going to win the job by the middle of the year and that just did not happen in Toronto for good reasons I mean like Alejandro Kirk was you know all-star level catcher Danny Jansen's really good back there as well I mean they're running into a problem with that now in the off season um, I don't think Moreno showed as much power as maybe we were expecting. I know normally he's always been hit over power, uh, but he really stung some balls I think late last year and th- that didn't return so much this year, which I don't think helped push the issue. Um, but, you know, we know he can play back there. We know the arm's going to work. He, like I said, he's athletic enough to keep base runners from moving uh, all that much in terms of stolen bases. Uh, you know the hit tool I think is always going to play. It it wasn't like he was hitting 350. I get that, um, but you know I think he's in a position now where he's going to force the Jays hand. It's going to be you know trade Kirk, trade Jansen, or trade him. I mean it, and that's a good place for the Jays to be. Maybe they can fill another hole, um, but he's definitely a major leaguer right now. There's no doubt about that.
0: Yeah, the thing that struck me the most is in, in to your point. You know we knew of the we thought the power numbers would be there and they really weren't, but it was the hitting the third baseman on the run to, to get uh, base runners trying to steal third base. Mm-hmm. That blew me away because at some point, and this is anecdotal, I know, but he was something like 7-for-7 seven seven or 8-for-8 eight eight before his call-up and made his major league debut in Detroit. And those are things you just don't see. A third baseman, whoever it was, kind of just going over the bag and the ball was right on the spot. So you know even though he wasn't hitting the home runs, like you're saying, the defense was was what carried him for, for a lot of last year. He had a couple of four-hit games uh, for the Bisons, but that defense was otherworldly.
1: Yeah. And you look at what base stealing is now in the minors. I mean, it, you're lucky as a catcher if you get to 30% caught stealing rate. Right? Uh, you know, the rule changes and just the aggression on the base paths really favors the runner. Um, so, if you, that's probably going to carry to the majors at some point. I mean, we're looking at, you know, the disengagement rule that's coming to the majors next year. We might see more stolen bases. So, if you have somebody who is athletic enough and can throw the ball really quick, get it out of the hand really quick. That's going to be even more valuable. And, and the Jays have one in, in Moreno.
0: Was there much talk in the fall league of, about the, the rule changes that we've seen now for many years, but really enforced in, in some added last year in, in AAA uh, about disengagements and things like that and, and how the players maybe see an impact for them going forward. Yeah. I mean, it, there
1: wasn't so much just because the fall league is filled with minor leaguers. So a lot of this is kind of old hat to them. Um, I did have some conversations with players who I think are more likely to steal more bases now. And that's going to become a bigger part of their game. I was talking to Austin Martin, you know, a former Jays prospect, who's now in the twin system. Uh, and big question with him has always been his power. Um, but I think at the time I talked to him, he was 10 for 11 in stolen base attempts. And he's like, hey, if that's going to be how I push the envelope moving forward, that's fine. Like that's as good as another base, turning a single into a double. Um, so if you can reach base at a 380 clip and get 40 stolen bases, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you if you don't hit 30 home runs like you are providing value to your team. So I think we could see a little bit more of that. One of the big things. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see it. I got there too late uh, to witness it for myself. But the ABS system and the challenge system coming to the fall league was was a big talking point. Um, I think there are a lot of fans of it. It's a good hybrid system. I love it. I think watched a little bit of it, you know, in the Florida State League and in Charlotte last year. Um, it just seems like the right system of still involving human umpires who are making calls and an opportunity to check it real quick. And, you know, you you eliminate these blow up arguments between a manager or, you know, the only people who can use it are the pitcher, the catcher, or the hitter. But immediately before somebody gets upset, they tap their head and say, let's look at it. And everybody looks at the video screen. It's like tennis in that way. Um, and so you can get the fans involved. It's it's super simple and easy. And I think it's, it's gotten good reviews so far.
0: And I think that that's something and I, I I saw when you retweeted Jonathan Mayos or put out his uh, article just talking about the differences and yeah, I retweeted it and it, you know made sure uh, folks that follow baseball that I know really well have, were keeping up on it for folks that don't know it's not like the system we've seen in, in like the Atlantic League a couple of years ago where the the the, the robot for lack of a better word will, will tell the umpire what the it's a ball or strike. Like you said, it's kind of like it's like tennis, where you you've, you still have the human element of the umpire calling balls or strikes, but you only get a certain amount of challenges. Right. You, you keep it if you win it, you, you use it and lose it if, if you don't win the challenge. So th- there's an added element. And I think that's a, a, a nice bridge between what we've seen in the past and, in you know, keeping that human element in the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing, is that there has been so many times, you mentioned the Atlantic League. I remember when it first came to the Atlantic League, and there were stories of guys being like, that's not a strike. Like, there's no way that's a strike. I saw it bounce in the dirt. And it's like, well, technically, it clipped the bottom of the zone. And there's been some fiddling with what the zone could be. Like, is it at the front of the plate? Is it the middle of the plate? When does it cone out? How does that work? Um, and so as you're kind of fiddling with that, You still have that human umpire there to say like, this is what this is, but it's just a way of checking that. And it's just so instantaneous that I think that's big. If it was, let's go to the monitor, let's put on the headset to look at one, three, two pitch, it would be burdensome. It's not that it's immediately up on the board. Everybody knows what it is. um, And let's get back to the game.
0: Yeah, everyone like like you said it kind of like builds for the the crescendo of like okay what's it going to be within that 10 second span and that the pop of the crowd for lack of a better term is as much a part of it as anything else
1: yeah Uh, and you know i mentioned tennis before in tennis they start clapping like i don't want baseball to steal that because that's just copycat (laughs) but like i want fans to do something i want there to be like a sound in the ballpark for a successful challenge i want there to be a scoreboard graphic whatever there's a lot of fun opportunities with this too
0: as we take a look back at at the, at the AAA level for last year, you mentioned some of the top prospects that came through, and I'm just looking at the, the top 100 in the last couple of days. It seems like there's, and there's always going to be, but there's a wealth of talent at, at the AAA level, and um, we, we've seen it in the the old International League North with Syracuse, but it seems like Worcester over the last couple of years, Jaron Duran, play, you know, players that are going to be key impact players for the Boston Red Sox going forward. And it's fun to see a lot of these players coming through the system and now seeing them for six straight days, which is something that we've kind of gotten used to the last couple of years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, by nature, when we do a top 100 list, experience matters, right? Like if, if you've gotten three years of minor league experience in which you've hit everywhere, if you've struck out guys everywhere, you're going to move up quickly in the top 100. So it's always going to be slanted towards guys with more experience. They just have the resumes for that. But yeah, you're talking about like we we said Francisco Alvarez before could be back at Syracuse to begin next year. Brett Beatty could be back at Syracuse next year. Uh, at your guys' level, or Elvis Martinez, you know, I guarantee will be in Buffalo at some point. Uh, there's some strikeout issues there, but the power is certainly going to play there. Um, he's going to be very young for AAA. Uh, you know, the Boston Red Sox, Sedan Rafaela uh, is going to be there. Watch his defense in Worcester. It's as special as anybody I know in the minors. He just makes catch after catch after catch. It felt like that was what he was doing in Portland. Normally a short stop, but is turning into a center fielder. Uh, but yeah, when we do these lists, I mean, it's, it's, you're always going to see A guys there just because in order to reach the A level, which is not easy to do on its own right, you have to have the resume.
0: You mentioned Aralvis Martinez, and he's somebody I wanted to bring up with you today. Uh, number two prospect among the Blue Jays top thirty r- right now is, as we're recording this, uh, you know, at the, the late season reset. Ricky Tiedemann is the number one prospect right now. Um, you know, got a little taste of tr- uh, double A life at the end of last year, um, getting some innings in. But you know, what are maybe some of the expectations of, of, of Aralvis Martinez? Maybe a Ricky Tiedemann? You know, to, to advance to Triple A at some point next season, still very young, and you know, make that next step in. in face some very good AAA you know, in terms of uh, Tiedemann hitters, and uh, Martinez, you know, th- those tough A pitchers.
1: Yeah, I mean, Orolos Martinez is going to be fascinating because this year we had a lot of debate about where to put him because, yeah, the power numbers are there. It feels like he's always kind of setting records or doing things that people in his age group is not doing in terms of power, and that's very valuable to have as shortstop, but strikes out a lot. That's concerning. And is he a shortstop? Really? The Jays believe in him and that shortstop, you know, again, he's, he's just super young. You get to a point where the bat needs to be challenged, but the glove may be at high a level, um, but you know, it's no good for him to hit 350 with 40 home runs at high a. Um, so you need to push him for the bat. I think he's probably going to end up a third baseman at some point. I and mean, he's a little bit small for the third base spot. The arm can play there. Uh, it just lessens the value a little bit but I think we need to check in with Martinez in two years. Like even if he comes to Buffalo this year and hits 25 homers, but hits 210, everybody's going to think that's an issue. Oh, well, he's still age 22. Um, So, you know, there's still a few few years before I think we know exactly who Martinez can be and will be Uh, Ricky Tiedemann was one of our breakout prospects of the year this year. Uh, Not a first round pick for the Jays last year, but was certainly on the radar. Um, But I was talking to, you know, our blue Jays, Beat writer Keegan Matheson in spring, and he was like, "Listen, everybody here is talking about Tatum. He's throwing in the mid nineties. His you know breaking stuff looks good. The changeup looks good. Everybody's excited for him. They're more excited for him than anybody else." Uh, And I'm like, "Are you sure?" He's like, "Yeah, no, trust me. Everybody here is going crazy." All right, we'll see. Um, And I think we ranked him as the number two pitching prospect in the system entering the year. And Keegan was like, we could go number one if we want. I'm like, let's wait a little bit. Let's make him prove himself. He proved himself real quick. I mean, pitching at three levels like he did, reaching double A at the end of his first full season, striking out guys everywhere, posting low ERAs everywhere. It's been really interesting. He's opening next year back in New Hampshire. I, I don't think they're going to get that aggressive and open him at Buffalo. But if he does what he did at New Hampshire for like two more months, I mean, he could be in Buffalo by June, maybe, maybe even late May. Uh... And at that point, you start looking at innings, like if he's ready by the end of the year, but he's bumping 140 innings, like do the Jays consider him out of the bullpen, whatever. Um, But he continues to pass every test and he's going to get more of them at the upper levels next year.
0: One of the things I'll be interested to see next year in terms of a development in in the organization is we saw a lot here at AAA last year of not quite the opener, but a pitcher only going about two innings in a start by design. There were really no starters besides Casey Lawrence by the end of the Bison season last year, all four other spots or five spots in the, in the rotation with uh, depending on when Casey started, were. are bullpen by committee days and you know how does that impact you know potentially um, certain pitchers helping limit their innings a little bit knowing I'm only going to go two or three innings at most in this start and I can go five or six maybe you know similar to the way Nate Pearson kind of worked back from injury a couple of years ago where he'd only throw a couple innings in one start and then go a full five the next so I think that to me that's one of the things I'm looking forward to, to hearing from player development if that's a strategy going forward or if this was just more of a by necessity because of uh, the players in the system at the time.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing we have to remember too, is we're coming two years off the pandemic in terms of the canceled season. So guys just had no actual professional innings. I mean, there was the alt site, there was throwing at home, there was all that. Uh, But it's been tougher than ever to get guys built back up and, you know, you take out a full year of development and a full year of arm work. um, That's going to be tough. So yeah, I think By the time July and August rolls around, you're going to see guys limited. And the other thing too is there are only five starters at the major league level. Like you want starters at every level and you want the hope that they can see themselves as a number three or number four, but in truth, not everybody's going to be a starter. Like, so you want them getting exposure to multiple ways of pitching, Um, pitching two innings at a time, pitching three innings at a time. What does your stuff look like in shorter stints? There's more advantages than just limiting your innings and keeping you, from getting to 140 come July. Um, And I think that exposure certainly helps. I mean, you talk about Nate Pearson, like we all thought he was going to be a starter for years. Now injuries have happened. It's pretty well nailed on that he's gonna be a reliever, but he has that experience of only going one or two innings now and really letting the fastball fly. And I think that's going to certainly help him. Um, So getting that exposure certainly helps, but I think the big thing right now is just keeping everybody healthy from April to the end of September.
0: And as you're talking, and we're having this conversation, the, the name that immediately comes to mind is Hayden Yinger, somebody who just drafted a couple of years ago, a year ago out of Missouri State, and really rocketed through the organization and finished the year as one of the most reliable relievers in the Bison's bullpen last year. And I've seen his stock rise in, in terms of the top 30 prospects in the Blue Jays organization. And, and he, he was one of the breakout stars um, you know, in A last year for, for us.
1: Yeah, for sure. And the interesting thing about him is trying to make sure that his stuff is going to play potentially a second time through the lineup. Now, that's not something I talked about last uh, question, but that is a big reason why you see some guys tail off. It's not necessarily them getting, uh, you know, like fatigued or something down the stretch in an outing. It's just, OK, guys have seen your stuff now. What is what kind of tax are you paying on the second time through the lineup? What type of tax are you paying on the third type through the lineup? Uh, with him yeah the stuff certainly plays the first time through what happens when he's going to see second time and that, and as good as they were in shorter stints i want to see him expanded out a little bit more just because the stuff can certainly play like you said like it's it's really good stuff and i think he could be a number four starter eventually uh but you know if if we get to a point middle of next year and it's like hey he's just really good at facing a, a team one time through the lineup let's just maximize that that might be his role too
0: and on the pitching side, of Hayden Yinger, guys like Adrian Hernandez, who came up midway through the year. But really, at the end of the season, we saw the wave of the next uh, position player talent pool coming up into Buffalo a little bit. And boy, to guys like Trevor Schwecky, uh, Davis Schneider, and uh, Addison Barger, I know somebody that was in the fall league and, and was there with Tanner Morris. Those were guys that really came up and paid immediate dividends. And getting a taste of AAA life at the end of the season, I think, is really going to do them good going into this offseason and then into 2023?
1: Yeah, Barger especially was exciting to me. I mean, I, I did see him a little bit in the fall league. Um, They took him off the Salt River roster at, at some point because it's just been a, such a big season for him that at some point, if you're not getting the results you wanted in the fall league, it's just extra work, and he doesn't need that after the end of a long season. But you talk about somebody who hit everywhere he played in 2022 um, i saw him a little bit at new hampshire and he looked advanced for the level but it was at the end of the year so i thought all right well that's the end of him and the jays were like no like you hit everywhere we want you to see buffalo what the heck why not uh the big thing for him has just been improving his plate discipline and i don't mean that in terms of taking walks i mean that in terms of swinging at pitches he can actually hit making those smart pitch decisions and swing decisions um because the above average power is there he can drive balls if they're in the zone. He just needs to actually be swinging at the balls in the zone and not ones on the periphery, on the black, stuff like that. you know. And really tapping into those uh, impressive exit velocities. Plays a lot of shortstop. He might have the best infield arm in the entire system. Um, I know the Jays believe that. So maybe he can move over to third base. Maybe he plays a little bit of second too. He's athletic for that. Um, but, yeah, he's definitely somebody I have circled on my radar for next year and trying to figure out where to place him in the J system is going to be a really fun one
0: another player that was down in the fall league somebody who had injuries really cutting his season short was Tanner Morris you know a very cerebral player is the, the word i kept hearing uh, as he was set to join the Bisons this past year we saw some of that plate discipline and, and that on base percentage that made him a a, a standout in double a but you know injuries like i said really cut his season short what did, what did you see from him you know down in arizona and trying to get back into the swing of things so to speak
1: yeah i mean the thing with tanner morris like you say is is he's just going to take his walks. Like that's going to be a big deal for him. Um, He's a lot skinnier than I I was thinking. And and I don't mean that in a bad way, Um, but I don't think power is going to be a huge part of his game, especially compared to like Nassim Berger. But the hit tool is going to be there. He's going to get on base. That's going to be the big thing for him though. I think he's going to be an infield utility infielder um, off the bench. Somebody who can provide you with some left-handed hitting help. Um, I don't see anything else necessarily being hugely impactful he's not exactly a strong runner he's not the best fielder in the world but if you have somebody on your bench who can get on base you know 37 38 of the time that's certainly helpful and somebody who could play multiple positions uh on the dirt i think that's good for him too so you know we'll see where, where things are going to stand he's already 25 uh heading back to buffalo that's old for prospectum if not triple itself uh, so, you know, the rubber's going to kind of meet the road next year, but at least, you know, he has a skill that is basically major league ready and getting on base.
0: And as we chat today, teams are still finalizing their 40 man rosters in-, in the anticipation of, you know, getting it set for the, for the roster freeze and in-, in the rule five draft coming up I- at the winter meetings. I- I'm interested to see what the roster constructions look like, how many rule five selections there are uh, this year, because I look back at the last couple of years and sure the, the last year was a little bit different but you know look, look at a team like uh, Worcester who used the rule five draft even Buffalo in 2021 there were so many guys like uh, Hobie Harris wh- was a rule five selection mm-hmm. Curtis Taylor uh, or he was selected this past year by uh, the nationals organization but a team like Worcester used that really to their advantage the Red sox did. And will that continue and be a way that teams just can't protect everybody? And are you able to find a, a prospect in, in the Rule 5 draft to kind of complement your teams?
1: Yeah, I mean, the A Rule 5 draft is always fascinating to me because it's just a way to pick up a player for very, very cheap. And it doesn't have Rule 5 stipulations that the Major League roster does. You don't have to be in A all year. You're just getting a guy who is not protected on a A roster when they were Rule 5 eligible. Um, So sometimes you have somebody breaking through who was a minor league rule five pick. Uh, And that's, you know, the fascinating to me how those guys don't get protected and they still end up being somebody. Um, I think again, going back to the pandemic, I think that was a big reason why some teams were able to find some gems in the minor league phase of the rule five draft, just because the info wasn't out there. So if you had a scout who saw somebody really well in 2019 and nobody else did, well, that's the most recent information. Um, so some teams were really able to take advantage of that. Um, I think that's going to kind of dissipate away the more scouts are able to get on the road, and, and that was certainly true in 2022. Um, but, you know, th- there's always something that somebody else sees that somebody else doesn't. And when you look at the, the major league phase this year, who, who the Jays have to protect, we mentioned Orvels Martinez before, he's going to be an, a nailed-on protectee. Jasra Zulueta, who I thought was going to, Debut at the end of the year, uh, didn't end up coming to fruition, but he's definitely gonna be protected. Addison Barger's will five eligible this year. Um, he's probably gonna be protected. Adrian Hernandez, you mentioned before in that killer killer changeup, it's major league ready. Like you don't want to let that go. Somebody would definitely take a chance on it. But also, we've already mentioned three guys who need to be protected. At what point do you run out of names? Tanner Morris, another one. I mean, it's it's just really a loaded list for the Jays, and it's gonna be a lot of difficult decisions for them before the 15th.
0: Yeah, we've gone this whole conversation. I forgot to bring up Zuluetta's name in, in our talk because he, he debuted with the Bisons late in the season last year at a couple of innings. And, you know, as, as we start to wrap up, uh, I don't want to keep it too long here, but, uh, you know, he was a guy that really had dominant stuff. And, and we'll see if whether or not he's back in Buffalo the next year, uh, if, if he continues his progression, because big things were expected out of him before. Uh, elbow and then knee a knee injury that really cost him uh, much of his time in the jays organization
1: yeah it's been really incredible to see the way he returned from all that this year i mean somebody who was coming back from tommy john and then tears his acl in his first outing back in 2021 uh and you know we st- continue to hear good things about him coming off that the velocity is up in the upper 90s um you know he can certainly touch triple digits i think at some point especially in a shorter stint. And he's got a really good slider. I mean, those those two pitches are enough right now to make him a back-end bullpen option, I think, for Toronto. Jay's folks that I talked to were pretty insistent that they wanted to keep trying him as a starter Uh, this year. I think that experiment will probably end in the first half of next year, Um, just because you know who he is now, like why – to push anything more difficult make it more difficult on yourself uh would not surprise me if he makes the club out of spring training to be honest with you like if the stuff is there and he's healthy he's one of the best relief options that they have in the entire org and if you're the jays and you're trying to make it back to the postseason in 2023 you want as many hands on deck as you can get you don't want to lose any advantages so we'll keep a close eye on him coming back in the spring where's the stuff then Um, But if it's exactly what it was in 2022, he's definitely going to be on the radar uh, to open in Toronto.
0: And Sam, as we now kind of get into the swing of things of the off season here, what's the best way for folks that that want to follow along with with your work and MLB pipelines work to keep updated on blue Jays prospects going into 2023.
1: Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, M I L B. Um, Of course, our website is MLB.com slash pipeline. We'll be doing all sorts of coverage. You know, we still have the, one week remaining of the Arizona fall league. So some of my colleagues are down there focused on that. We have the 40 man decisions that will be coming next week. We'll have tons of coverage on all that going on. And then of course, the off season means trades. I mean, we're bound to see some, we mentioned before, maybe the blue Jays are going to trade one of their catchers. What will they get back and how will that impact the farm system we will cover that on mlbcom slash pipeline and also bluejays.com where you can see our coverage there as well.
0: Sam, I know you mentioned your, your Twitter account and you know, your, your pin tweet to me. Uh, is what minor league baseball is all about. Your nephew at the at the Worcester game, uh, he's wearing the Boss t-shirt. He got to play catch on the field afterwards. You know, at the end of the day, we're talking prospects. We're talking about, you know, exciting players, but it's the fans that, that make minor league baseball and the young fans. And I thought that it's just a, a great way for folks that are just, you know, hopping on your Twitter account to see that pin tweet and what minor league baseball is all about.
1: Yeah, it was one of my happiest days in this job. And I wasn't even working. I want to be clear. I, I did not bring my nephew to work. Uh, we sat with my dad, uh, who's his grandfather, uh, in the the stands the whole game. And he wanted to get you know ice cream out of a uh, batting helmet. And he wanted to play in the playground and center field and watch the game and high five the mascots. Um, you know, it, it's easy to get cynical in this game and just focus on the players and the grind of a season. Um, but to see the game through his eyes was one of the most special moments I've had in this and uh, yeah, really re- reinvigorated me about what's special about minor league baseball.
0: That's awesome. And uh, I hope to see you at, in Salem Field or if not in Buffalo, across the International League at some point in 2023. Thanks for taking some time today and and talking Blue Jay prospects in minor league baseball.
1: Yeah, anytime. Thanks so much.
0: Our thanks again, and looking forward to catching up with Sam Dykstra once again in the 2023 year, and seeing just where several of these prospects land on the 2023 top 30 rankings and the top 100 as well, and what the Bison's roster will look like come the end of March next year after spring training. Well, as I mentioned earlier in the power rally, the full slate of games has been announced for the 2023 season. The year will begin. In scranton wilkes at the end of March, the first time in the modern era, the Bisons will have played a regular season game in March. The three-game set in scranton wilkes will be followed by the home opener Tuesday, April the 4th at 2.05 Eastern Time as the Bisons host the Worcester Red Sox for the first series at Salem Field in 2023. You can head over to Bisons.com right now, see several of the promotions we have already announced. Star Wars Night is back June the 3rd, 6.05 against the St. Saint Paul Saints. A couple of days before that, Thursday, June the 1st, the popular School Kids Day will take place, the 11.05 start time against the AAA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. You remember last year's Kids Day game, unfortunately, was rained out against Worcester. But next year, hoping for better weather on June the 1st, and it's the return of the Key Bank Independence Eve celebration, the 27th annual with the Buffalo Philharmonic Orchestra will take place on Monday, July the 3rd, before a 6:05 first pitch against the aforementioned Worcester Red Sox, the Bison's you'll remember were home on July 4th last year, and Roy Kenyon with that great moment uh, signing a professional contract after opting to serve his country in World War II instead of taking a tryout with the Buffalo Bison's uh, out of high school joined the team on the field, through a first pitch. It was a great moment at Salem Field last year. We expect many more great moments just like that coming up in 2023. The Bisons will be home on Mother's Day and Father's Day next year. Thirteen Honda Friday night bashes and a full slate of games from April all the way through September once again at Salem Field. We'll take you through all that as we get through the offseason, talk to some of the players that were a part of the Bisons' 2022 roster, and take a look back on the season that was and get you set. For 2023. Looking forward to a great offseason firing up the hot stove, and we'll talk to you next time. I'm Pat Melicaro here in the Power Alley.